We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Twitter experiences massive data anomaly as millions of Arsenal fans rush to delete anti-Mesodosal tweets. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Just your run-of-the-mill 5-0 victory, folks, uh, as the Arsenal home juggernaut uh, chugs along. I think, obviously, we'd be doing even better at home if it weren't for the negative fan behavior, uh, which drags the team down. But despite that, the team soldiers on. And uh, Mesodosal. Good at football, turns out. So three weeks ago, when everyone was telling me, play Iwobi, stick uh, uh, Ozil in the reserves, we don't need him, uh, I guess, and I'm just uh, hypothesizing here, that may not have been a good take. Uh, Here to provide more not good takes, I mean, sorry, brilliant takes, uh, Tim, you can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Stilberto. Hello there. Hello there, indeed. And Clive, he's on Twitter at Clive, P-A-F-C. Clive, Buenasera. Hello, hello. That's right. That's right. Did I say that right, Tim? Buenasera? Um, I don't know. I don't speak Spanish. I, I don't. Is that Spanish? Yeah. <laughs> it is? No, it's not. Yeah. Is, isn't it something else? Uh, no? It's Portuguese, isn't no. it? No, Portuguese is uh, bon dia. Oh, you know what? Fine. I apologize <laughs> to whatever nationality and language-speaking people I've offended. I, I clearly don't know what I said, but I think it is good evening. I'm pretty sure it is in whatever language it is. In any event, uh, je parle un peu de français. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, good game. Good game. I think we're all pleased with it. So let's get to Scott. We'll do the stat section and say goodbye. No, I'm kidding. Um, well, so, uh, Cl- uh, Clive is here. Tim is here. Paul is not here because um, I, I guess he wanked himself to death. So we'll see. Uh, all right. So, uh, Tim, I think 
you know, the, the interesting question that we debated at length in the last pod was what rotation was the right amount of rotation and how much he would rotate. And I was kind of of the opinion, go get the three points in front of you because nothing's mm. guaranteed and you might as well get these three points. And the manager agreed and he started full mm. strength. How surprised were you that he started full strength? And did you have any reservations about him doing that? Um, I don't know how surprised I was because I really, really didn't know how he was going to play this. I really didn't think there'd be like wholesale changes. I thought maybe he might look at Koscielny and give holding a game and he might, you know, he might look at Aaron Ramsey and Lord knows what he'd have done there because the uh, the other options aren't that appealing. Um, and, I, you know, I thought maybe he'll look at Lacazette. I didn't think he'd do all three of those at once, maybe two at the most, but I thought maybe he'd consider... Um, a couple of those. Um, I, I didn't actually think Urza would play. Um, I'm incredibly grateful that he did. Um, so yeah, I, I I didn't I I didn't really have a feel for how he was going to go for this. Um, I didn't have an awful lot of trepidation about it to be honest, because um, we haven't had Champions League football this year, so that team is relatively fresh. I think this is the first midweek um, kind of Premier League fixture of the season. So really, it's the first time they've been asked to play without a seven day break. And maybe as a fan base, we're a bit more nervous about that this season than usual, because it's not been the every three days that we're used to. It's been, you know, we've been used to at least a, a week's rest. I think maybe Arsenal would have looked at the fact that in the recent international break, a lot of the players didn't go away or they only played one game or didn't didn't cover much distance um and so he probably took that into account and just thought well you know what like you say let's just take the three points uh, that are in front of us because there's certainly no guarantee we'll get them on on saturday um so i didn't have an awful lot of tre- trepidation maybe in hindsight you could look at lacazette and say this is the first time he's been asked to play twice in a week and he's gone off injured at half time and uh Maybe those of you that were doing all that booing when he was being substituted, maybe um, the manager knew what, what he was talking about. Then. Have a look at yourself, people. Have a look at yourself. Come on, guys. I mean, trust aside, trust aside, in Arsene. In Arsene, we trust. Come on. Aside from the fact that he was very, very, very visibly absolutely wiped out after 55 minutes every week, which should have been a clue. Um, but yeah, I mean, may, maybe the manager knew what he was doing previously by taking him off and maybe he... You know, he should have rested him on, on this occasion. But, um, yeah, I, I certainly wasn't screaming for that before the game. Just so I'm not going to criticize him for counterpoint, it. Counterpoint. I mean, they were saying on, on the broadcast, and I don't know if you saw it from the stadium, Tim, but, like, they were saying, like, midway through the first half, there's some concern about Lacazette. They're considering subs, substituting him. They're, you know, there's some discussion on the sideline that Lacazette may be hurt. Mm. And then he plays the whole damn half. I mean, like, I, I'm sort of confused because if he opened up his groin – which is such a disgusting way of saying it, but I, it just rolls off the tongue nicely. Uh, if if he did something to his groin, you know, 20, 25 minutes into the half, yeah. I mean, why is he running around? I mean, he was still sprinting for balls all the way until the, the halftime whistle. Like, what was the yeah, thought process there? Maybe. Cause all I noticed, I didn't actually notice him hobbling or carrying an injury. All I noticed was about 10 minutes before the end of the first half, I saw Giroud was the only one warming up. And I thought, ah, that's got to... And there's only one player Giroud's going to come on for. Um, and it didn't tweak until half-time when Giroud was straight out and warming up with Shad Forsyth. And that's... Um, if you're ever in the stadium, if one of the subs starts warming up with Shad Forsyth, it means they're coming on. 
because uh, he's, he's giving them the once over. Um, but I didn't actually notice it because I'll tell you what I did notice. Aaron Ramsey got a knee in the hamstring about halfway through the first half. And uh, he, he was not, I wouldn't say struggling, but um, he was nursing it for about 10 to 15 minutes or so. And I think I was so worried about that. I didn't really notice Lacazette, but yeah, you're right. And, and maybe, you know, maybe Lacazette thought, do you know what? I keep getting taken off early and uh, no, I've, I've got to stick this out. I've got to prove myself. I've got to prove that I can go the distance and I can take a knock. And, that, that leads you know, to I, another question. I mean, because look, if you've done your muscle, you've done your muscle and you know you're not. I mean, yeah. he's a professional. You're not going to run around on a torn hamstring and tear it right off the bone like, uh, oh, pardon me, a groin. Um, so let me ask you this. I mean, any thought in your mind whatsoever that Arson is sandbagging like he did with Ozil where he said he certainly won't be ready for Wednesday? I mean, is there any thought in your mind that he did play the rest of the half? It couldn't have been that bad. He may be okay for Saturday, or you think that's my mm. that's my w- wishing stone talking there? Yeah. He d- didn't he say he could be out for a while um, after that, which, you know, I, d- I don't know. I know, well, I know if he that's did the case, I mean, I, then I, I cannot understand the decision to let him finish the half. But I, I, look, I don't want to go down yeah. this road because we just had a 5-0 victory and there's a lot of better stuff to talk about. I mean, ultimately, though, Tim, I mean, just to finish up with you, you know, you talk about, oh, maybe we shouldn't have started the first 11 and we could have gotten the win without it and now look, we're without Lacazette. But you know what? I record the games and, and at the end of the season, there are probably, if I'm lucky, three or four I want to watch again. And this will be one yeah. I want to watch again. And, like, as fans, we want to see Wenger ball. We want to see beautiful football. We want to see goals scored. And, like, we aren't treated to too many of these a season. Like, isn't there an argument that, like, you should just enjoy it when these come? These performances are why yeah. we've loved this era, you know, these 20 years of football. And they've been fewer and further between. These were great players doing great things. And, and instead yeah. of looking at it as we should have rotated for United, why can't we just enjoy it? Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a good argument. I think you look at the Europa League at the moment, and that's pretty short on entertainment, and that shows you. Um, I mean, look at look at the difference um, with how Giroud played with that team compared to how he plays with the Europa League team. You know, wonderful flowing football around him, and he's less of a roadblock. Um, and and you know, Arsenal actually, when you look at um, particularly the attack, the personnel has changed quite a lot this season. Um, we've been fairly settled, maybe not so much in the back three. Where we've been settled is the midfield two and the wing backs. Um, but up front, we haven't been settled, really. We've, we've made a lot of changes there. And actually, if you're talking about fully realising the advantage of not completely participating in a European competition, then it's not just the recovery and the fitness. It's getting that rhythm and that game time together. Um, and particularly in this part of the season... Um, when and Arsenal are looking fairly fresh at the moment, and I know um, Jane Cavendish had a very good thread on Twitter about this about a week ago. Where Periodization, she was saying, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Where usually Arsenal have a qualifier or something, or they start the Champions League campaign, they have to go all out from August, and they suffer a dip. Whereas this time, they've been able to, you know, you get two peaks in a season, and what it looks like Arsenal are doing is aiming for December and April as opposed to August and February or something. So, um, yeah, but perhaps I, I think he probably just read it as well. Look, they haven't all played that much football. Um, let, let's really get this starting eleven together and let's really get some rhythm. And, and you know, that's probably, in his mind, he would have justified it as that's just as valuable as giving a couple of players a rest. Yeah, and that makes sense. And I, I enjoyed it. And <clears throat> I don't know if you know this, the goal of football is to enjoy watching it. 
So mission accomplished. Clive, uh, hello. So the first goal, beautiful goal. And in a way, a lot of the things we haven't seen much from Arsenal played right through the middle of the pitch, right through the middle of their defense, split them open with movement, a straight through ball. Lacazette's movement is so important here. He pops up on the right half space. He gives the ball back into midfield. Shaka plays a little dagger ball into Ramsey. Ramsey finds Shaka, uh, uh, Lacazette running from central to the left half space into the box. And he's just so smooth in the box. Cool, collect, uh, cool control and finish. How much did you enjoy that goal? And, and is that the kind of goal that maybe has been missing a little bit from us this season? Well, we've got that goal in, in our locker. It's all about one touch, isn't it? One touch and movement. And the bit that I really liked about it was, um, again, Ramsey has got that flick in him, but it's nice when he's flicking it to somebody that's intelligent enough not to run past him, slightly hold his run so he can see him. And so the flick becomes easier to execute. Then he takes it into the box and then he controls his body, gets his stripe pattern right. And sometimes with football, you can tell if someone's going to, school you can just tell by the way they approach the ball and and there wasn't many people watching him approach that ball thinking he's not going to score right? so um and he, and he ended up going in it's a, it a lovely goal and it it sort of just makes the game nice um to see see that early goal go in you sort of the pressure's off we can now play we can now we probably got this one and that's probably how the players felt that's probably how the fans felt and um and the players sort of um, maybe took on a little bit of that thinking we've got this but didn't quite go and push them over the edge immediately and um, ended up being a little bit edgy towards the end of the first half but I'm loving the time you know I always say the similar thing I always say I think that Arsenal is a team of flow and when we are flowing it's all down to the the least time we take on the ball well, totally I agree a little story yep. right, a few years ago yeah, my son was at an academy and he played against Arsenal and um, and they beat us like 13-3 right? and it was under 14s and the thing I noticed immediately was that the Arsenal players never held the ball more than two touches and it's something that their coaches were shouting all the time one touch, one touch, two touch, two touch maximum two touch you do touch, touch to move off to spot to beat somebody that's the only time you have two touches only people allowed to have more touch than one or two touch with the wingers, and a philosophy that goes throughout the club. And and when you see it work, like some of the goals we saw yesterday, the the ability to play one touch is so difficult because you've got to have a complete picture, complete body control, have the next pass in your mind as the ball's travelling to you. And when it's when it's done like that, it looks so easy. The moment you start to see players have multiple touches is the moment we get into physical battles and the moment we start to show the weaknesses in our game that we're not so good at. When you see the ball flying across the ground like that, then it's just like, wow, why can't we do that every week? You know, it's just great to watch. Yeah, and, and maybe, I mean, look, it, it, it's, it may seem weird at this stage, but we've still been playing this formation, what, less than a year? I mean eight months or so, you know, with, with a summer break. So you, whatever, we're probably 30 games into this formation. Uh, yeah. th- that front three is still just about learning the, learning each other. Ramsey and Shaq are just still starting to, you know, form the right partnership in, in the center midfield. And maybe, maybe, maybe we're starting to see it click. You know, I, I don't think you can just change a formation like this and change roles and change positions on the pitch and expect everyone to know where everyone should be. And, 
I think that's starting to happen. In terms of Lacazette, though, Clive, I thought he had a great first half. And I think it would be unfair to split this into we scored all the goals when Lacazette came off and we didn't score them when he was on because I thought he was brilliant. And his movement was hurtful. He got in the spaces that hurt. Dare I say it, he, he played a little a little bit like an RVP or maybe better, better put like a, a Thierry Henry in a way because we saw him drop deep and give the ball and, and play considered passes and touch, touch, and move, and then run. We saw him running behind. I thought that run he made to the end line where he tried to chip it back into goal from the end line where uh, it was cleared off the line and then Kolasinac just couldn't yeah. couldn't smash it in. That was brilliant. I mean, we're, we're constantly evaluating this player because, first of all, you know he, he only plays about an hour a game and he hasn't played in some of the big games, but was this half of football arguably his most impressive for us in some ways? I think so. I was going to say exactly that. I think the effort to put in defensively, which he always does from you know high up, but he followed people back deep and just for half time he was doing. He found himself in a strange area of the pitch in the right back corner, um, and I, I, I really like him actually, and I, and I haven't always been a fan, um, but I like how he's improving. And sometimes at Arsenal we we don't see players improve. I think he's a, a very good link man that seems to be on the brain wavelength of some of our better players. And to have a centre-forward that makes other players look better is really, really good. Because we've had debates about Giroud, for example, who does his, does what he does very, very well. But I think he has a tendency to make other players not look so good and limit other players and in turn limit us, despite him having some very strong attributes. So, But with Lacazette, I think he... His whole movement is that of a team player and said, I want to make you look good. Knock it to me and I'll get, I'll get us going again. I'll give you it back with information on it and then you can move it. And then I'll move over here and then I'll connect you to this three over here. And then, by the way, if you want to play down the sides, I'll run after it there as well and I've got an idea of what I'm going to do when I get into the box. You can cross it to me if I'm moving. You can give it to me any way you like and I'm going to make you look good. And I, and I really like that about him. I really like the team ethic he's got. And I, I see him as the Drew alternative, big time, with more with more tools. And I think France going to use him that way. I generally think he'll be the France starting centre forward next year. I think he'll have Griezmann and Mbappe all around him. I think that's going to be the Yikes. front three. And I think, <laughs> and I think, I think Giroud will be the, the alternative that on certain occasions when maybe the team they're playing is not so good. And they're going to be pressed back into their box. But come the bigger games, I think Lacazette's going to play. Yeah. I think he's just got more things he can bring. And I think I'm loving watching him. I'm loving watching him. I, of course, everything we're talking about here, I'm, I'm not sure I want to bring a doom and gloom into this, but I sort of said something on Twitter today. you got to leave emotions, me space to do something, Clive. Come on. <laughs> okay, man. Sorry. But all this emotion that we're feeling, which is quite nice, quite a nice surprise, and you know, a few nice things are happening. But there's, there's like an emotional handbrake around basically the two boys that are making Lacazette's making good and making him look good. Yeah, that emotional handbrake is on. We don't quite want to let go, right? Because we know that we're not in the best potential position going forward, which is a shame because imagine if those Ursula Sanchez had signed up three more years and we had this front three for at least two years. We'd all be massively excited right now. But you know what's weird? Clive, I I think we've fallen into this weird football manager, everybody wants to play director of football, plan the future of the club kind of role as fans now, where we have totally and completely lost the ability to live in the moment. And, like, 
nobody's guaranteed another day. You could walk out in the street tomorrow and get hit by a bus. And actually, bad news, Clive. I can see the future. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but you know, like, like we have these extraordinary players playing extraordinarily well, and instead of enjoying it, everybody's discussing whether they should be sold in January. Like, what is wrong with saying we have them? They're incredible. I'm enjoying watching them. And I'm not the director of football at Arsenal, so it's not my job to replace them. So while we can intellectually debate who should replace them or how, I think once we decided to start this season with them, we should all just sit back and enjoy what we're getting because you're not guaranteed players like this at your club. Yeah, I think you make a great point. Uh, you could you could you know, project that point out much further around football analysis, but you make a great point. But that's, we are what we are based on the history of our club and maybe since 2000. And six, as a fan base, we've been worried about the financials because the financials around that we've had not been great, and the financials of some of our such a good point all rich competitors are unlimited. And so we, when we see dollars flowing out the the roof, flowing out the window for nothing because we haven't made smart decisions, we can't help but feel that's going to make us even fall further behind. Right, and um, but it's not our job, right? Like, I, and that's why I'm so torn. You, you make such a good point, right? We all fell into the FFP, like myth. You know, we went down the mythal, mythical FFP rabbit hole together, and now we all feel that we have to. We can only enjoy players if they were a bargain, and if they cost a lot of money, we have to worry if they resign or what we're selling them for. And meanwhile, they're actually playing football on the pitch, and nobody's noticing. Like I, it's such a good point you make about how that changed us and the way we evaluate our players, but there is got there has to be room for enjoying watching them play football. You're absolutely right. But I can't help I I can't help my think a thought process. I can't help but think, could we get could we get twenty five, thirty million for Theo Walker? And then if we can get another twenty million for somebody else and we can put that towards Fakir, who used to play with Lacazette at Leon, I can't help my mind thinking that. But should I be worried about that? Maybe, probably not. But that's well, just for the Theo, way my I'm mind okay runs away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, my mind works. Yeah, right? that's fine. So, um, <laughs> and then, um, yeah, it is a tough one. You're absolutely right. I think um, we need to enjoy the wins a little bit more, and we need to we need to, as fan group, just say, look, this is quite good. Let's let's like it. We're coming to Saturday, which I can't get out of my head already. And there's a potential of another good day there. And, um, oh, don't, do don't jinx it. Come point. on, Clive. Come on. Um, <laughs> look, so, so getting back to the game, the game action a little bit, Tim, though, I, I thought it was interesting. The first half was a weird half because mm. we carved open all of this space. And my exact quote at halftime, I just want to read it out because this was what I wrote in my little notes I was taking. Um, first, I wrote, great moves in little triangles on the edge of the final third, but no precision in the passing. This has been a bit ugly, but also on the verge of blowing their doors off. There's another gear here. They were chasing shadows, but we were letting them off the hook. And what I thought was interesting is I almost felt like the early goal took some of the pressure off, and then we were just kind of playing for fun, right? I mean, there was one little move, I don't know if you remember it, where there was all this one-touch passing and then a one-touch pass into the air to Alexis over the top. Ozo played this scintillatingly gorgeous over-the-top ball behind the defense to Alexis, and Alexis tried to back-flick it out of the air with his heel over to Lacazette. Yeah, yeah. And we were trying some of this incredible, um, uh, really impressive technical skills, but they weren't coming off. Um, There was a lot of virtuoso play that that was just, you know, the, the, the... 
the passing was like an inch off or the touch was an inch off, but we were trying it. It was fun to watch. But as a result, we were camping in their half. Shaka was pushed way up and they were getting a lot of pretty decent counterattacking opportunities. They squandered some moves where they really could have pulled that level on three or four occasions. Do you think that the early goal maybe had us playing a little too casually, a little too arrogantly at times and that as beautiful as it was to watch, it was in equal parts a little bit frustrating? Yeah, and this was um, this was something that um, the Invincibles used to do quite a lot. Uh, I've said this a lot. Okay, on this I love podcast. that. <laughs> <laughs> they they used to win games three one that they should have won seven nil um, because they'd get to a certain point where they were enjoying it so much almost that that they kind of take their eye off the ball a little. I thought um, the football we played in the first half an hour is the best I've seen us play for some time. Um, and a lot of that might have come about as, as a result of the early goal, but I thought there was that kind of one-touch, quick stuff. Um, and it was weird. It was like a game of three-thirds, really. The first half an hour, I was looking at it thinking, yeah, we could win this 5-0. And then the 30 to 60 minutes, I was thinking, this could be 1-1. And then, of course, 60 to 90, we, we kind of went back to the beginning again. But I think what happened is it, very interesting, the way Arsenal set their stall out. They really, really pushed Granite Xhaka and Aaron Ramsey high up and they tried to do exactly what they did against Chelsea in the cup final. And um, I, I, I haven't looked at any like average position maps or anything like that, but Xhaka and Ramsey were so high. It's the furthest forward Xhaka's played in a long time from just yeah, from yeah. looking at it. Yeah. What they were doing, exactly what they were doing against Chelsea, they were trying to push them back basically by standing. They knew Huddersfield would have like two banks of four or four and a five. So they went and stood behind them and it confused them. And actually what we've got, and you know, Clive said this on the last podcast, what we've got are three centre-backs who can play. They can all, they, they're all good enough on the ball to play through the lines. So what was happening, instead of us playing in front of them, we were getting behind them really quickly because our three centre-backs were on the halfway line and we had you know we spoke about a couple of weeks ago how Arsenal's attack just didn't have these lines like this kind of there's your back three and then 15 yards forward is your midfield two with you know the wing backs perhaps pushed on a bit and then your front three we had this thing I forget which game it was where everyone was just stood in a line and um, actually our spacing was really good so Ramsey and Jacker were basically just going right instead of just like receiving the ball and looking at a wall of blue shirts, we're going to go and get behind that bank of four. So that, and then Mustafi and Koscielny and Monreal were finding those kind of, those, um, what I think Wenger calls moderate value passes in behind them. And instantly they're on the back foot. We were just constantly getting up against their defence by basically just pushing them so far back that their midfield wasn't even a consideration. I think what happened was that Huddersfield wised up to that a little bit um, and they started pressing our centre halves quite a bit more um, and making those passes a little bit more difficult to find and we got you know they got on Xhaka as well and we saw his passing began to suffer quite a bit and then I think for about five to ten minutes his confidence went and he was giving the ball away and uh, and that, that rustled us a bit I think because we were getting through them so easily and credit to Huddersfield they saw it they saw what was happening and they fixed it um, and I don't think we we quite adjusted to that for a little while. So I think you're right. I think there was an element of perhaps it became a bit too easy. But I do also think that Huddersfield kind of uh, recognised what was going on. We had a good original game plan, um, which Huddersfield then got wise to. And it, it took us a little while to sort that out, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, do you think 
like maybe we, we talked about the ball moving very quickly and there were a lot more one touch passing right in the middle of the pitch whereas a lot of times it's happening through Bellerin or through uh, Kolasinac do you think some of that is because Shaka was pushed up more close to Ramsey at times or if not you know they were still playing perpendicular to each other but further up the pitch mm-hmm. that there were just yeah. more central players on the edge of the final third to exchange those quicker passes um, yeah. as opposed to when Shaka drops a little deeper towards the halfway line you have that one less body right there in the in in the center of the final third to exchange those passes yeah yeah absolutely and actually what we're seeing from Ramsey and Shaka is they're, they're actually they're still not perfect but they're actually quite versatile so they can do that um, and, you know, again, Chelsea Cup final, that's the blueprint. They can push up together. Um, and I know Clive did a, a good bit a couple of weeks ago on how they they swap to mess up people's game plans. But they can also do, the, as they did against Swansea, they tried that in the first half against Swansea. It didn't really work. So they dropped Jacka 10 yards further backwards and went, right, OK, Swansea are playing this way. Let's drop Jacka closer to the centre-halves and let's just have him hit the wing-backs all the time. So Arsenal have kind of got two ways of playing it. They can just put Ramsey and Jack are quite high up and perpendicular to one another. And if that doesn't work, then they can just drop, um, well, preferably Xhaka back and have him as more of a kind of quarterback. Um, because teams that, that kind of push up on him uh, are more susceptible to the, the kind of the ball in behind. So if he's getting crowded out, you know, 30 yards from, from the opposition goal take him back 20 yards and he can find those those crossfield balls so they're, they're still not a perfect midfield pairing but what what they've actually got is they've got a couple of ways of dealing with opponents particularly in home games um, at the moment I think we saw that yesterday as well yeah and, and just one last little thing I mean the one thing that I is really hard to miss I think you, you just can't miss it Ozil and Alexis love playing together don't they I mean mm. The way they respond to each other's movement, the way they look for each other, and it's not to suggest that they aren't able to interact with the other players. They do, but there, mm. there's really a special relationship there, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. And this um, this kind of new formation, I think, brings them a little bit closer together, kind of literally and metaphorically. Because it, w- what we've done is we've kind of tried to bring out a bit more of Alexis's creative game, and again, it, it's given us kind of two different ways of approaching our creative game. Because uh, I think, particularly since Kazola went down, um, you know, we, we've lacked that secondary creator. And what we've kind of done is we've turned Alexis into that secondary creator. And uh, it's very fire and ice, you know. It's very, if Alexis doesn't get you with his 50th attempted through ball, then Ozil will find some space that nobody else has seen. It's It's kind of... One of them will try and kick the door down and the other one will try and pick the lock. But you're right, they combine brilliantly. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that Alexis goal is so underrated. Um, I thought that was such a superb goal. Brilliant, brilliant ball by Ramsey. Brilliant cut back by Ozil. Fantastic finish by Sanchez. And that 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 goal just felt like... Um, it felt like a, a return to Wenger ball, you know? Yeah. And uh, Alexis and Ozil, they're, they're two players who can do that for us. And... I think the form Ramsey's in at the moment, and Ramsey is developing the creative side of his game. His passing is getting much better. Um, you know, at, at the moment, things are good. And, yeah. Uh, and it's it's, <laughs> it's kind of coming off at the moment. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, and I mean, you know, look, aside from the way the ball was played, some scintillating finishes too. I mean, Lacazette's finish is cool as you like. Ozo with a beautiful little chip, just, you know, 
so instinctive and natural. Alexis smashes into the roof of the net like he's on the training pitch. I mean, you know, then, of course, Giroud taps in a few, whatever. Uh, you know, <laughs> but just, just, just beautiful stuff. Um, and by the way, I mean, we mentioned Shaka, but 125 passes at 91.2%. I mean, just hub and spoke. You know, we went back That's to it. that hub and spoke. And, and you know, Mesut Ozil, five key passes, 97 passes, 86%, seven crosses. I mean, he, just, he filled up the stat sheet. So let's do this. I want to get into the Ramsey and Ozil thing a little bit more. So it's a good time to bring Scott in because he covers it uh, comprehensively in his statistics segment. And then, Clive, I, I want to talk to you about Ramsey, a player that you don't rate at all and have said really nasty stuff about. <laughs> and I want to try to understand why you hate Aaron Ramsey. Um, <clears throat> so we're going to go to Scott. We're going to talk stats. We'll come back and we'll find out what Clive's problem is with the Welsh. Uh, yeah, we'll be right back. I realize that sometimes it can be hard to tell, but statistically speaking, we were actually pretty dominant in the Huddersfield match and played pretty well. So while you may have missed that, it may have gone by you, uh, we're going to invite Scott now to give you the statistics that will help you realize that actually we played quite well. So Scott is here. You can find him on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. You can find his fine work on crabstats.blogspot.com. And Scott, uh, incredibly, in a 5-0 victory, the stats suggest we played pretty well. Just starting from the top, on XG, it wasn't close. No, not even yeah, remotely. Um, yeah, so I had it 3.7 uh, in the favor of Arsenal to 0.5 for Huddersfield. Um, and I, I think that if you looked at it, I, I have a, another one that also looks at the, the shots on target. Um, and Arsenal um, were at 4 um, in that one. So th- this definitely was a, a deserved spanking for Huddersfield. Yeah, well, and you know, there's nothing I like more than a deserved spanking. Um, okay, so look, I mean, there were a lot of good things that happened in this match. I think uh, two of the really bright performances were Ozil and Ramsey. And in a season where we've built a lot through the wide positions, through Bellerin, through uh, Klasinac, um we did a lot through the middle today. And we did a lot through Ozil and Ramsey. And I think it's interesting because the very last game we were debating... Alex Awobi and how much creativity we lose. And then Mesodozo comes back and says, ding, 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 here I am with the creativity. So how uh, scintillating was his performance statistically? Um, it basically broke all the metrics, how good he was. Um, he's right at the, the top of all of the charts. So it was like the um, Kim Kardashian paper magazine cover of uh, creative statistics. Pretty much, yeah. So um, I just wanted to touch on something. I know you just mentioned um, the building through the middle. Um, I know we had talked about that um, during the Spurs match, how only 9% um, of the passes went through the midfield center um, compared to 14% for the uh, year average. Um, this game, it was all the way up to 22%. So, yeah, a real big difference in the number of um, passes through the middle this game. Yeah, I, well, I mean, and, and so is that, I mean, is that something we haven't really been doing? I mean, is, is the, the movement through the middle... Um, something that we've struggled with? I mean, what exactly do you think was... I mean, if when you look at the statistics, I mean, were Bellerin and Kolasinac de-emphasized in this match? Um, they didn't quite um, have as number of uh, touches as what they normally do because they usually um, are among the top uh, in the, our number of touches. Uh, for this game, they were still among the top, um, but we still saw... Um, uh, Shaka, Ramsey, and Ozil 
um, kind of take a little bit more of a, a front seat in this one. And yeah. those are more central players. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it. we definitely associate Wenger ball with playing through the middle and the quick one-touch football and going right through the center of the pitch. And while wide positions are great and all that, when, when you're playing one-touch football through the middle of the pitch, it's really a joy to behold. And I think Ramsey, you know, he, he's a player that divides opinion, but on his form this season, I, I think you kind of have to acknowledge that he's a crucial part of what we're doing. And this game, I thought he was really, really good. Obviously, he assists for the first goal. He played the through ball to Ozil that led to the uh, – who who did he cross it to from the what, – what was it to Ozil? The through ball, Ramsey? Through yeah, I believe it was, yeah, to the, Ozil the through ball for his assist. Slides. Oh, it was for the um, – it was for the Alexis, Alexis goal. Yeah. Yeah, so I actually um, had him with two um, two through balls um, in this game, you know, leading Arsenal. Um. Yeah, well, I, I mean, it, you could just see that he was everywhere. I mean, statistically speaking, did he did he put together a performance that maybe was jumped off the paper for you a little bit? Yeah, and so, I mean, if we wanted to talk a little bit more later um, about his overall his season, I think that would deserve well, some mention. Let, let's but. do it now. Yeah, I mean, I mean, what... What is Ramsey doing for us this season? For the people that are still on the fence about him, let's get them off the fence. Um, basically, um, if you look at, um, as a creative um, outlet, he is our, our third best creator behind um, Ozil and Alexis. Um, so on a XA basis, um, he is um, third with... Let me find my notes here where I, where I wrote it down. Find a way, my friend. We have all the time in the world. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to try to do a long podcast on this one since you know there's a big game coming up and you never know it might not go our way. So we might as well revel in the five nil. Exactly. Um, so yeah, he is third with uh, two point seven two um, xa created um, for the season um, behind Ozil and Alexis. Um, he is um, tied for um, or tied for second in number of big chances created with with five. Um, he is also um, third in the number of key passes created. Um, so basically, with Ozil and Alexis' future in doubt, um, I think it's even more important for Ramsey to be um, kind of locked down because he's another one of those guys that his contract is, is running out. Um, but the other thing that he does is not just in the creative side, but he's also um, a huge factor in our offensive production. Um, so he is going to be um, first or second in almost every other offensive category. Um, so if you look at um, his shots, he's second behind... Um, Alexis. If you look at his XG, he's second behind Lacazette, um, and that's just point zero two behind. So basically, he's tied. Um, he has um, taken um, seven big chances, um, which is tied for first with Lacazette. So basically, both offense and creating. And, and that's really is, a testament to his running, right? Because those big chances come from him arriving into a, the box on time to be there for for those big chances. I mean, it shows you how important his movement has been. Exactly. He has a, a real good knack um, for popping up in places where he needs to be and where his teammates can find him for big chances. Yeah, I mean, I'm guessing um, most of his shots on the season, if you shot chart it, are probably center of the box, right? Like they're not, they're not twenty-five yards out. They're not from wide positions. They're right there near near around the penalty spot. Exactly. No, he's his shot selection this year has been excellent, way better than it's been in the past. Um, I'll Good. tweet out um, his individual shot chart so people can go back and look. Yeah, at Yeah, I'd love to see that. Um, it's absolutely beautiful. One um one statistic that we touched on in the Burnley game that I thought was interesting. You said Alex Iwobi played one pass from the middle zone into the final third zone. Um. And those those can be hurtful passes that build the play. And that you said Ozil averages about fifteen to twenty. I was curious if you have it handy. 
Um, and if you don't, you can just say, I don't have that. Let's move on. But do, do you have any way to look at uh, Ozil's passes from that uh, middle third and the final third? Yeah, so I did. Um, so this one, he was 9 for 10. So he didn't have the, the volume. But um, if you actually looked at that, I think um, one of the things that happened is that because... Um, well, we were in their final got, third so much. Yeah, Huddersfield got pushed back so far that our actual leader in final third entries was Laura Koscielny. Um, wow. So the, the, the fact that it's a, a center back who's making those passes is kind of just shows but even still, where the actual... I, I mean, where the actual possession was in the game. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. But I mean, even still, in a game where you know Ozil probably spent most of the game in the final third, he's still nine for ten on those entry balls. Where Owobi played one in the Burnley game. I, I just think it still shows you how critical he is to getting into those spaces and then getting the ball into the final third and then you know running onto it one touch. I mean, the the movement and the exchanging of passes was brilliant. And the statistics seem to be bearing that out. And I'm just curious as we move forward. I mean, unfortunately, Lacazette won't be available for the um the united game which is really heartbreaking but we're starting to now have a little bit of data and a little bit of experience with the big three up front ozo alexis lacazette and my eye test tells me we're a better team with them out there do you happen to have anything i mean like maybe xg per 90 with those three versus our xg per 90 generally i mean is the is the data telling you what my eyes are telling me which is that we are just a more a more effective team attacking when those three get to be on the pitch together? Yeah, so um, earlier in the week we talked about um, the with and without Ozil. So I did the, a very similar thing. So this is with the, the AOL combination. AOL. Um, with and, and so without. wait, let me just see if I've got that right. That would be Alexis Ozil Lacazette? That'd be right. Okay, hopefully they don't go the way of AOL itself, but all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, without them, um, Arsenal are creating 1.5 XG per game. Um, they're shooting 15 times, and they create two big chances. All right, so wait, um, so 1.5 XG per game, 1.5 expected yep. goals. They're getting 15 shots a game, you said? Yep. And one, so, this is, this is, so this is Arsenal without with, the without, three. Right, and then and how two big chances a game. Yeah. Okay. So right. this is uh, so when they all start together, mm-hmm. um, and this, this number is going to kind of blow you away, um, they create 3.1 XG per game. They take 20 shots per game and 4.75 Holy cow. big chances. Now, I realize sample, um, sample size warning, obviously. They haven't played together yes. a lot, and I'm sure some of that is skewed by the fact that that Everton game was a bit of a rout, although there's no saying that it would have been a rout with the other group. But that is, I mean, Scott, that's not... That's not a statistically, you know, minor difference. I mean, I don't know what you you data nerds call that, but I call that a holy shit amount of difference. <laughs> yeah. So, and if you want to um, even go to looking at when they play together, um, they have a, a few more matches that they've played together at the same time, and so the XG when they play together is two point five, eighteen shots per game, and three big chances per game. Still a significant uptick. So. What my eyes tell me is that we're better when those three are together, and what the data suggests is we are significantly better when those three are together. Um, and that, that really is interesting. And I mean, I, I think it just goes to show you that in football, having your best players on the pitch uh, can help you be a better team. So for all you up-and-coming managers out there, there's a little inside tidbit. If you play your best players, you will be a better team. Am I am I reading I know, that right? Yeah, it's 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 one of those things that's kind of hard to understand why you would want your best players all at the pitch at the same time. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. Um, unfortunately, because I'm I have like a job that pays me m- more than this free podcast. 
I'm pressed for time and I have to uh, get with the, the, the panel, the group to, to record the main section of the pod. So Scott, I think that's a tasty morsel of goodness to cover uh, all the wonderful things about Arsenal statistically and we will definitely dive a little deeper after the United game and unpack how we were able to uh, to get six past De Gea. I mean, I'm guessing Coughlin double hat trick, but you never know. In any event, uh, Scott's on Twitter, O underscore that underscore Crab. You can find his work at crabstats.blogspot.com. He will tweet out Aaron Ramsey's shot chart. You don't want to miss it. Scott, thank you. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to you after tonight. Bye. Bye. Okay, so as Scott pointed out, and I, I know your eyes and the scoreline probably couldn't tell you this, but once we look at the data and dig into it, it turns out we played well. So, Clive, why do you hate Aaron Ramsey? I don't hate him. Oh, okay, uh, all right, so let me ask that in a, more, in a more progressive way. Aaron Ramsey has really grown into this role. He is having an extraordinary season. He's second or third in every creative attacking stat. He's covering the whole pitch. Um, he... He leads us, I think, in big chances. He's perfected those late runs into the box. Um, his through ball to Ozil, the pre-assist, so to speak, for the Alexis goal was stunningly beautiful. The flick around the corner to Lacazette on the edge of the box. Um, you know, Paul has always said, and I hate to give Paul credit because I disagree with 90% of what he says and just with him as a human being, but uh, he does make the point that Aaron Ramsey is the kind of player that when he stays fit and starts to get a run of games, then you see the best out of him. Are we seeing a dominant Aaron Ramsey now and the difference that can make for us? Yeah. The Europa League has, has saved Aaron Ramsey. As simple as that. I mean, even last night, Wenger took him off after 75 because he, he wants to protect him. He knows he's he's delicate. He knows he's, a, he's an athlete that covers lots of miles. He's quite metronomic in his movement, so he pushes himself to the physical limit. And three games in seven, eight days has just never worked for him. Then then we lose him for three weeks. He comes back rusty. He tries to come back and do exactly what he always does. Breaks down again. And he's just not getting any continuity. And, and then, funny enough, your eyes don't lie with him. You could just see how he runs and, when, and the way he moves. And you know he's going to play well because of how he's moving. When he's not playing well, he labours in his running. And he rocks from side to side. And he's, because of his personality, he will always try to get places where sometimes his body can't get him to. And he puts himself into areas where he hasn't got the the fast-twitch sprinting fibres to be the, the exterior of teams and run beyond people when he gets there too early. And so for my issues with Rams, has always been stylistically rather than and his style versus what the game requires. And what's happening now is, as Tim has already alluded to, I think... Within this formation, he has got a number of ways of playing and he and more of his strengths are showing up because he's allowed to and he's actually told to to push teams back. And when I first saw him doing this, I kept thinking, what are you doing? Why are you so high? And when we get called out, it doesn't look good. But now I'm realizing, actually, this is by design. This is about putting teams into areas where we want them to be. And to do that, you have to be brave in your movement breaking through third man runs even if you're not getting the ball it just sends a message out to people to say we're coming for you and you sit there and once you're there around the edge of the area we're quite good at one touch passing and playing through you so I think he's definitely looks fitter he definitely looks stronger but what I what I like he seems to be improving on many aspects his technical security is getting better he's developing moves to to 
turn away from people. His weight of pass is getting better. He still does your stupid thing, but at least he tries things. And I mean, I really appreciate that. I mean, the Burnley game, nil-nil, freezing cold, and he just kept making runs. And he makes the run, gets the penalty, we get the three points. I mean, things like that, for all the things he doesn't do so well, you have to appreciate when he does something well like that. And I think um, I, I love to see players improve. I love to see players develop their game. And it looks as though he's not resting on his laurels. He's developing physically again, which I think he's at a peak now he hasn't been at for many years. And technically, I think he's really improving on things that I didn't think he had. And weight of pass is one of them. And, big, and Tim's always been a big supporter of our managing. And, and what I tried to do, a couple of friends of mine are very big supporters of Aaron Ramsey. And what I started to do was look at his whole game. And I thought, OK, well, you can play deep midfield and spray the ball. You can play number eight. You have played on the right. You've had a couple of goes on the left. And you've had a couple of goes in number 10. And you can be a, a scoring midfielder. You can be a passing midfielder. And you can also tackle. And when somebody can do all of those things then all he's got to learn is the tactical maturity to know when to apply all those attributes. And that was my that was my initial frustration. And what we're seeing more now is that he's applying himself to, to exactly by what the game is telling him to do, rather than just doing what he always wants to do and run around like a teenager. So um, you've got to say, I'm uh, really impressed with him and you know, we, he's a key player for us at the weekend and he's a key yeah. player for us going forward. And it will be interesting to see if he gets a contract, Elliot. And that's <laughs> the next one. Well, it's funny. Everybody's like, oh, you know, Ozil and Alexis are playing so well because they're putting themselves in the shop window. I got bad news for you. They don't need to be in the shop window. <laughs> they're going somewhere in the summer. Ramsey has put himself in the shop window like a motherfucker. And it reminds me a little bit of the Theo, Theo contract renegotiation. Do you guys remember Theo hit a rich vein of form right around yeah. the time when we had to renegotiate his contract? And we had lost a lot of key players. And Arsenal were in the tough spot of having to give Theo a big deal because we just couldn't let him go. The optics of letting him go would have been bad, right? Uh, you guys remember that? So he, he had been playing center yeah. forward a little. He gets his <clears throat> contract. He's in a rich vein of form. And now it, that's kind of been a millstone for us, right? Um, yeah. I, I'm not saying Ramsey would be a millstone around our neck, but similar situation. We're about to lose our two stars. We can't afford the optics of losing Ramsey, too. He's playing really well right now. We're going to wind up giving Aaron Ramsey two hundred thousand a week, and rumors are he's turned down the contract already. And um, well, I mean, and they are. Who would would you sign? Why would you? No, I mean, look, he may go, he may go, but if he stays, it's going to be on big, big money. And I think we're in that situation again where it could work out great, and he could be captain material and a leader for us to becoming a title challenger again, or we could be in the Theo boat where this is more the purple patch than the regular form and. I'm not saying that, by the way. I'm not saying that's what will happen, but it is. Do you guys, I mean, Tim, do you see the parallel there? You know what I'm saying? With with yeah, being yeah. in a situation with a player who's hit good form right at the time where optics really support him having a lot of leverage for us? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a kind of, I I still don't think Theo was quite this player, but, you know, no, one of your no, secondary players. Conditions. Yeah, right? yeah. One yeah. of your secondary well, players. We, we we don't have to dive. I feel like that's an answer. I talk, unless you want to dive into that, we have other things we no, can no. get to. But yeah, I just wanted to see if you kind of saw saw it my way, so yeah, I can definitely. feel feel validated and then 
sleep well at night. Um, you feel good? I feel good. Yeah, I feel good. <laughs> Thanks. So, um, yeah, I mean, Ramsey has been hugely important. I mean, uh, Tim, do you just want to do you want to tag on to Clive's uh, brilliant Ramsey section just in terms of the step forward he's taken? And, and maybe, I mean, mm. are the Ramsey games where we really see him being influential and really dominating? Do they coincide with good Shaka games? When Shaka's passing at 90% and completing 125 or making 125 passes in a game, it give Rams, gives Ramsey the freedom to make more of those runs, to move around more, to get into the hurtful yeah. spaces. When Shaka's passing at 70% and doesn't have the, the game by the scruff of the neck as much, doesn't have control of the midfield, then Ramsey has to, has to drop a little deeper, has to come back into midfield, can't, can't make some of those moves and those runs and link up at the edge of the box. Yeah, absolutely. It, it kind of reminds me a, a little bit of um, a, another player that I absolutely loved that was uh, quite divisive, Alexander Hleb. Um, and actually, Barcelona's Alexander Hleb? Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah, Birmingham, or Birmingham City's Alexander Hleb? <laughs> <laughs> um, Bartow Borisov's Alexander Hleb. Oh, um, that one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what started happening was that um, when Fabregas had his breakout season in terms of goal scoring, what started happening was that Fabregas realised he could give Alex Hleb the ball and run forward and he didn't have to worry about um, having to turn on his heels and sprint back again. Um, and so, that, and that's, that's probably a neat comparison to what you're talking about there with Xhaka. You know, Ramsey pushing on. Ramsey pushing on is not a problem if we don't lose the ball um, effectively. But I, I do think he's become a bit more considered um, in that. And what I think he's become slightly better at is reading the game and reading when to do that um, and not just doing it from the first minute to the last and just um, just running up front. Um, he's, he's got better at picking the moment. Um, but I, I think he's always had that in him. Um, but what, what's really pleased me, I think, is, yeah, he's, he's, he's a bit more kind of defensively responsible and secure. But it's... it's the technical side of his game. I, I saw it a couple of seasons ago in him, actually. I saw, um, I think, towards the end of the 14-15 season when, like, Walcott was kind of playing up front. And uh, he, he started to find a way of, of kind of hitting Walcott from fairly deep areas. And I thought, oh, he's developing, like, a real passing game here. And then, I don't know, may, maybe he's just too focused on the kind of, I want to be a goal scorer, I want to be Brian Robson, I want to be Steven Gerrard. Um, but it kind of, I've always felt that Aaron Ramsey is a brilliant all-round midfielder who perhaps has done himself a disservice by focusing on just one of his attributes for the last couple of years. Um, and it kind of, Which is mis- yeah, missing big chances. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been like, yeah, I want to be Steven Gerrard. And, uh, and, and I thought, you know, some of the best football he played in the last few years was when he was out on the right. But he's got that weird thing that right, all agree footballers again. have got. <laughs> He's got that weird thing that all footballers have got because they never grow up. Um, they always no, I want to be the centre forward. I want to be, I want, I want to play in the centre, and it like doesn't matter how important or crucial they are playing out wide. They want that status thing of no, I'm in the centre um, because they're children and they don't, you know, they don't really emotionally or intellectually grow up. Um, but yeah, it, it feels like he's getting that maturity and he's realising that actually he's got all the tools that you really need in a midfielder and actually I think he's an excellent tackler as well he just he hasn't focused on that enough he can do everything and it feels like and maybe it's just a rhythm thing maybe it's just because he is playing every week now and you know he's not had an injury yet this season um, and maybe, maybe he's you know a, a bit like I think Nacho for example 
he's someone who's really benefited from just playing 90 minutes every single week same position knows it inside out you can really see that in his display and I I, I think uh, yeah I, I think again I kind of side with Paul uh, in absentia that we're beginning to see that a bit with Ramsey and um, and we're seeing both sides of his game when we need him to be a bit disciplined like against Chelsea, against Spurs uh, he's he's able to do it and um, we'll probably need him to do that a bit again on Saturday because United will look to hit us on the counter um, mm. and, and I've, I've got faith that he'll do that yeah, and I don't know what Paul's abstinence has to do with that but yeah, I agree with everything <laughs> you said um, uh, so we got to talk Macedozo though and, and we're we're way too far into the show to not have talked Mesut Ozil and I we're we're all going to get a swing at this but he did it again I mean he in he as much as Mesut Ozil can take a game by the scruff of the neck he did he was brilliant in the first half and still found another gear in the second half and when he's on form like this it is it's unlike any other player I can think of he he is a devastating player cerebrally with little touches and intricate movement and clever skills. And it is such a joy to watch. You know, Alexis makes himself noticeable. It doesn't always come off, but you never, he never goes unnoticed. I mean, Ozil just drips quality on the game in, in ways that are so subtle. And I know that subtlety has almost become like a meme, but, but I think that's also because Sometimes you know there is that debate with Ozil. You say, "Oh, you just you you know you're not sophisticated enough to see what he's doing." But Tim, I think you made this point. When mm-hmm. Ozil is doing it, you don't have to have some sophisticated yeah. footballing eye to see it. So let's dive into Ozil. And before we get into the bad of Ozil or the you know why four of Ozil, let's just talk this game for a minute. At yeah. this level. We, you know, it's funny. Last pod, we talked about Alex Awobi, nice player, has good qualities, not Mesut Ozil, and we miss so much creativity. This game is just another reminder, right? I mean, this this was Ozil dominating a match in the way that only he can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even in that um, period where we went into a bit of a lull, he was the only player that didn't. And it was that kind of performance that, that people asked for where, you know, like you say, he takes the game by the scruff of the neck. And you look at those those three quick fire goals. You know he's at the absolute epicenter of all of them. And uh, one of the one of the stats I found really interesting because you know a lot of people, even Arsene Wenger, said something like, um, you know, he showed that he can fight. And he said something like, when you chase back, the crowd are behind you. And that's a, and that's a very English thing. And obviously, like that's open to a lot of ridicule, and quite a lot of it, rightly so. But at the same time, I think people go too far the other way. Um, and with Ozil in particular, it, you know, it, it, but, but the, the stat that really interested me is everyone recognised that, um, you know, he was tracking back when needed. It wasn't actually needed that often. It was only about twice. Um, because of the position he plays, it's, it's not demanded all of the time. It's not necessary a lot of the time. It's just occasional. Um, but he didn't, he didn't commit a single tackle, um, which... which you know, which you don't always have to to be valuable defensively and in terms of of tracking back. But um, obviously, you know, in terms of what he produced going forward, this was you know this wasn't one of those. Oh, I looked at the highlights or I looked at the stats, and it turns out Özil played quite well. That you know, this was absolutely he was. He, it's weird because you know he doesn't go at full throttle really. Um, he's a player that moves in a very weird, subtle way, but. He was the, the word I'd use is buzzing. 
he kind of he, he doesn't do that like sprinting but when he's on form like this he buzzes you know you can almost see him like visibly vibrating uh, you know moving around the pitch all one touch no look passes flicks around the corner you know all this kind of and it doesn't look like showmanship when he does it either it just looks so natural and um and you know maybe that works against him sometimes when when he plays like this it looks so natural that when even when he's just good you know it doesn't quite look as easy as this and yeah he he was just absolutely sensational he was everywhere he was all over the pitch you know he, I runs, have he said, runs more than he gets credit for running and the problem yeah, yeah. is when he doesn't run he has this weird way of walking and kind of like slumping his shoulders so you notice him not running yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he does run and, and you know what it's, so um I, you know a phrase you used i think last season when we were having one of our um hundreds of discussions about the likes of Coquelin and Giroud um was that they're players that don't fit your eye i think was the phrase you yeah. used and and you know so you can you can appreciate what they bring to the team and why it's important at times but on an aesthetic level you just don't really enjoy watching them and i have kind i had kind of the opposite thing with alex Kleb, where i don't really care i don't really want to have a debate with anyone about how effective he was or how frustrating he was i just loved watching him play and um and, but but when you when you use a phrase like uh, that i totally understand and i think everyone relates to um you know a player that doesn't fit your eye you know when we talk about football we think there are two as fans there are two very important things there's thinking and there's feeling and thinking is the most important of the two but there is an element of feeling and that's not unimportant and i think the thing is with Ozil, um everybody thinks he's good everybody knows he's good they they you know most people are smart enough to see what he does and think, yeah, this player is really, really good. I think where he's possibly suffers is that he doesn't make people feel good. And um, that, that doesn't mean, and the problem is the Ozil debate has become contaminated, right? Because when, and I say this about him, he's, he's not above tracking his runner. He's not above doing his work off the ball in the same way that like um, a goalkeeper can't just keep lumping the ball out of play and say, oh, what do you want me to pass to you for? I'm a goalkeeper, I keep the ball out. Or if the centre-halves just keep lumping the ball up front and say, we're defenders, don't ask us to pass. You know, in the same respect, Ozil is not above doing a little bit of off-the-ball work and he has the freest, least responsible um, uh, kind of role on the pitch and therefore he doesn't have to do it very often, but... This, this debate is contaminated, right? Because when you say that, people say like, oh, you just want him to be Scott Parker. And it's like, no, there's there's an enormous grey area in there somewhere. And and I think the thing is last night when you see, and like I said, it only happened like twice, maybe three times, him chase back. It does kind of unfortunately highlight that he doesn't do it, the, the times that he doesn't do it. And, uh, you know, even Wenger said in his, in his uh, post-match comments, he showed that he's capable of that. And that's when people will get, you know, people will fully get behind him. And it's not about turning him into Flamini or Parker. It's about just that little one to two percent extra. And we saw that last night. We absolutely saw that. And we saw that, you know, a little bit in his off the ball performance. And yes, that's not the most important thing with Ozil. But what but where it's important is it translated into his on the ball performance because he was, even by his own exalted standards, he was incredibly productive. And that's what happens when you're kind of, you're really motivated and you're wired by the game. You become, you know, you become more creative, you buzz around a bit more, you become more productive. 
And that's why it's valuable for him to, you know, just go into the occasional tackle, go into the occasional shoulder charge because it it does G you up a little bit, you know? And, yeah, um, of course. It, 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 he doesn't have to become a destroyer. Just do that like once or twice a game and that's that's fine. And it will if it gives you that little kind of extra 2%, then it will benefit his more creative, more cerebral gifts as well. Yeah, and I do wonder if Ozil is a player who comes alive a little more when the players around him excite him. I, I, I mean, I know that's unfair. Maybe I'm giving him too easy a ride, but this is a player who arrived at Arsenal and was immediately trying to lay on chances for Theo Walcott, whose idea of running is, I'm going to run very fast, very straight. Olivier Giroud, who can't run in behind. Yeah, uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain. I mean, who who were the players that Ozil was giving chance for? I mean, he started a game in the knockout round of the Champions League against Bayern with Yaya Sinogo up front. Like, I do think that when Alexis and Ozil are on the pitch together, for example, you see a different Ozil. And the one thing that I think Ozil does for us is he gives us a better Alexis in this respect. Look at Alexis against Burnley when Iwobi was in there. He was popping up everywhere. He was trying to play the killer ball every time. And look, that's a little bit of Alexis, period. But Ozil takes so much of that responsibility off Alexis, and I think we get better contribution from him when he's finding his role in the game instead of just trying to be the whole attack in one player. And so they they really do complement each other that way. I mean, Clive, as far as Ozil goes, I mean, is it is it simply a case of He's had it so comfortable at Arsenal. I mean, we give him a, a, a winter break every year. You know, he gets to be ill for the Burnley match, and he may actually have been ill for the Burnley match. But, you know, he he kind of sort of gets to pick and choose when he wants to play and when he wants to be there. And is it just possible that Arsene has been too much of a player's manager with Ozil and that it's been comfortable enough that he he's kind of had the chance to decide when he wants to turn up and when he doesn't? I mean, he hasn't finished seasons as strongly. This is a guy who's on pace to shatter the assist record a couple seasons ago and then got, like, one more, you know, during the run-in. Like, are we... I know LeGrove had said, you know, can you mention, you know, that Mesut Ozil is a first-half player who fades in the second half of seasons and doesn't seem to fancy it once a title challenge is gone or something. I mean, do do you think that Mesut Ozil's talent is overshadowed by a a lack of willingness to do it every game? I, I don't buy into that, Pete. I think he's been self-indulged in the past, and we all sort of know it. So when you see a player being self-indulged, and then suddenly you're losing away game at Man City and he's not running back, it almost gives you an excuse to have a go. Do you know what I mean? And um, I think people have done that because we we want the team to win, and then we look around at the the flagship players. If they don't do it, they get the ones that get paid the most and cost the most. They get the most stick. Right, so um, and that's just the way that's just the way it goes. I think, from my own personal angle, I think um, um, Erzul for me has been probably the, one of my top five favorite ever players I've ever seen at Arsenal. Right, I would say my first four why, are some mix of Thierry Henry and Cesc Fabregas, and then you. Yeah, he's top five for me, and and the reason why is because. I've watched football for many, many years. I'm firmly in constant in my middle age. I've seen all different types of players, but I've not seen a player like him. And, I, and, I, and I've just not seen a player that I can learn so much from about movement, about awareness, about control, about finishing, different types of finishing, pace of pass. He's perfect every time. How he's like just two or three passes ahead. And if you if you watch him, you can really learn about football. 
you can really learn about the intricacies of the game, the patterns, how he sees patterns, how he flips. I watched him in the game. It's a simple game, but I think it was against uh, Swansea. And sometimes when you go live, you really pick things. And I just remember looking at the Swansea. He was playing on the hour right, and the Swansea right back was in a bit of trouble. So he just trotted over the other side, got close to the players over there, pass, pass, pass. Job done in behind. He just knows where to go. So when you when you have him, you have to know what you've got and what he provides. And why football is, is he makes football look very very easy, but it's actually very very difficult. And what he does is he he's almost like the oil to our engine. So the difficult pass, the difficult receipt of the ball, the difficult action. If it goes through him, it comes out the other side clean. It's like you throw a dirty ball, it comes out clean. And we go from there. And that makes us flow. And that is Arsene Wenger football. It's flow-based. And he's a flow player. And the ball just goes through him. And and I do think he's just very unique to watch. But I'm afraid with our English eyes, we we sometimes demand something else. And um, when we don't see that, we're quick to criticise. When what we should be doing is learning about what we've seen, what he does... I'm thinking, can we add that to some of the, the British attributes that we have in England? Can we add that to more players and really educate them rather than kill him for being slightly different to what we're used to? So, um, yeah, he's a, I'm a huge fan. Huge yeah, fan. You, you made a good point, actually. You know, you start to think about it. You start to try to name favorite players in the Arsene Banger mm-hmm. era. And there's, of course, Bergkamp and Vieira and Thierry Henry. And for me, Cesc Fabregas, I know some people have given up on him, but he is my love child and I will never give up on him. Um, you know, and, and you you can think of... Just some of those incredible players that were there, Perez, of course, and and I mean, I don't know how people will look back on Alexis. I think Van Persie, because of all the injuries and the brief period where he was exceptional, followed by the way he left, makes it impossible for me to look back on him positively. But Ozil has Ozil has been a complex player for me because when he is brilliant, he is so enjoyable to watch. And yet he has a resume of big games where he has been such a disappointment. Um, and that, that, that is complicated. I mean, that complicates it. Whereas, you know, Alexis, I have an affinity for that player just because of the way he steps up in the big moment. I, 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 I don't know. That's, that's a tough one to say. I mean, Tim, you know, kind of a weird question, but who, assume they both go. Who's the harder player to, to replace? I mean, any way you look at it, Alexis's XG plus XA is elite. His output, I know people don't like that he gives the ball away, that he can be sloppy. They always oh, a selfish, see you next Tuesday. He is at the absolute top of in, uh, European football in terms of output, period. There's no debating mm. it. Um, and he will win you a match. He could, you know, look. Mesut Ozil can lay on 25 key passes, and if no one scores the goal, it doesn't matter. Who's the harder player to replace? I, I still think it marginally it's Alexis, just because he does both. He creates and he scores. It, do you know, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of um, the Bergkamp-Henri thing. In the, and like Ozil's like uh, Bergkamp and Alexis is like Henri. In that, I always felt that Bergkamp had the higher ceiling... And Bergkamp's best game was better than Omri's best game. He was capable of more. But in terms of consistent output, Omri did it more often than Bergkamp. It's just when Bergkamp did it, he did things that Omri couldn't do. 
And I, I feel like it's kind of the same here. I feel like Ozil's ceiling, uh, he's certainly technically a, a far better footballer and his ceiling is higher. Um, but I just think Alexis produces more, more often. So if you, you know, if they both have their best game, Ozil's going to have the better game of the two. But over a season, I think Alexis will give you slightly more. Um but yeah, it's 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 such a. It would be an. It, I mean, it's not going to happen. But it would be such an enormous boost just to keep one of them, um, and be able to to build around them. Um, but I, unfortunately, that's not going to happen. So, um, really, let's let's enjoy enjoy them while we've got them. Yeah, and I think what I would say is, if you drop Ozil into a sensational team. He can probably yeah. be more impactful than dropping Alexis into a sensational team. Yeah, but if agreed. you have a middling team and you can only have one of them, Alexis can raise the level of a middling team by scoring twenty-five mm. goals and laying on ten assists. Um, you know, and and doing a lot of it on his own. I mean, we've seen Alexis yeah. do it on his own. <clears throat> um, Ozil, that's I don't know. the final piece of the puzzle. Yeah, that, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, and I mean. So, you know, look, let's not, let's not get into the morbid issue of which one of these two fantastic players we've got to live without. Um, Come on. Yeah, yeah, okay, Clive, fine, one. I just want to say something on the goal, really, Ozil's goal, and when he ran through, and your eyes said, chip it, chip it, chip it, but he didn't chip it. He bounced the ball over the goalkeeper. <laughs> yeah, it was incredible. Yeah. I mean, like, that is the last thing you do. We do, you chip it, you get yourself off the ground in case you get your legs broke. He's got the calmness to run in and bounce it over the goalkeeper. I mean, the goalkeeper's thinking, what has he just done there? And I mean, that sort of stuff is what I'm talking about. That is unique. Well, it's like that Ludig- Was it the Ludogorets goal where he put 35 yeah, guys on yeah. their butts and, st- and still had the composure to round the keeper and put it in? I just, I just haven't seen that before. I haven't seen those yeah. movements. And from watching hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of players, I've just not seen anyone do that. I've just not seen some of the things he can do. And that's what I mean by one of my top five players ever. Because I learned so much from watching well, him play. And, and what I, I like, the well, genes. I think what we've been missing is penalty box players, players who are cool in the penalty box. Alexis Lacazette, and to some extent Ozil, not always, have an ability to slow the game down in the penalty box and be cool in that moment. Now, Ozil sometimes doesn't do that, but, but we, we've seen it with Lacazette. Alexis can certainly do it, and Ozil showed it in this game. And, and it was brilliant to watch. Now, look, just a couple quick codas on the game. Um, one is Giroud. I think the fact that he came in and he played in a side that was clicking and everything was clicking over and he did get a couple of, you know, I'm not trying to take it away from him, but sort of easy goals. Now, admittedly, you've got to be in the right place to score those easy goals. Um, he takes one off of Kolasinac's uh, foot. Uh, he has another one that he slides home pretty nicely. But, I mean, Clive, do you think, I mean, is is this... Is Giroud popping up in the right spot a few times in the second half of a game where we were already rampant going to ultimately mean that he gets the start against United over Welbeck, or do you think the manager will still go for the mobility and the energy and the running of Welbeck? Well, I hope he goes for the mobility and the energy and running of Welbeck. I really hope he does, because we are going to need to have some sort of running presence against Manchester United, who are going to be looking to put us in areas where we don't want to be. So I hope he doesn't kill us by playing a a non-running body up front. When Ozil and Sanchez have had Lacazette, who's fluid in his movement. I know Welbeck isn't as fluid, but he can move. Right, So it's really important that we mirror the style as close as we can. And in some ways, you know, 
Manchester United are very big, strong, physical team. You know, Welbeck could be very much suited to this game. I'm sure Lacazette is as well. But there's no if he plays him, I think we'll be fine. But he has to play him. He has to start with his energy and then bring Giroud on later on when one of the front three fade. But um, yeah. I'm hoping he does it. If he doesn't, I'll be really disappointed. Same. Um, if Giroud comes in and basically kills it, then I'll be quiet. But And Giroud is a streaky scorer, but I go Welbeck every time. Any any thought that he goes Alexis up front and maybe brings a Wobie in and goes Wobie and Ozil together or something, you know, something like that, some unexpected permutation of that front three? I hope not. I, I don't... I don't mind when Welbeck plays and sometimes he's him or Alexis swap. I, I quite like that when sometimes Alexis goes up front and then Welbeck goes left yeah, and Welbeck yeah. goes up front. I want to see that. I want to create some problems for them. I, I want to not know what's happening. I think their right-sided centre-back, Linder, or whatever his name is, he needs killing. So I want to get onto him. Uh, I think I, I think their so, manager so. could use killing personally, but you know, look, <laughs> yeah, tomato, exactly. tomato. Um, their their back three are not great, and um, they're not they don't play in an advanced way as we do. So I really want to get in that side, and we are very left sided bias. So I tell you what, they better get their right centre half right because if they don't, I think we're going to get them. Yeah, one little sneaky under the radar kind of thing about this game too. By the way, Kalasinac, um his passing's been really poor and. We were praising him early in the season for doing what Gibbs never did, what Ox didn't do, what you know we've been missing, which is once you get into that final third as that left wing back, playing the smart cutback, the cool pass, looking up, spotting a man, and he really didn't do that. He got into a lot of good places, and then look, he, he, he got better as the game wore on, and he, he had that little jink move in the box that led to the, the Giroud goal, and I thought he improved, but still passing in, what, the 60% range or something like that, and hopefully it's just a little blip for him because the running is good the energy is good the power is good but he needs to get back to executing a little bit better um final final thing tim Mm. um well first of all just give you a quick word on what you think he'll do for united up i mean no chance he sits ozil for this right no no i I, again i really don't know i i wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised by either um welbeck or Giroud. i tend to think he might just give Giroud the start and um I, I'm going to hate Olivier Giroud forever for scoring twice last night because I'd written something about um, how he should have left in the summer and how he can't play in this attack anymore. And now we don't have Chamberlain whipping in crosses. There's not really much of a way for him to score. And he goes and scores twice uh, on the end of free-flowing moves. Um, and, and By the way, welcome to the Hate Olivier Giroud Forever <laughs> Club. Uh, I'll send you your welcome packet, things like that. So, yeah, just kidding. Um, but... You know, maybe Wenger will think, well, actually, he did just get on the end of uh, a couple of free-flowing moves. I, I don't think Jose Mourinho's Manchester United are going to give us as much space as, as Huddersfield did. Um, if we play Giroud, I hope we're not tempted to just try and chuck crosses into him and that um, they do try and... It, it, see, the thing is, if we play Welbeck, there's at least some tactical continuity. If we play Giroud, um, potentially there's less of that, but um, this might be a game of few chances and you'd probably back Giroud to take a chance over Welbeck. So it's it's fairly difficult. I would I would definitely play Welbeck um, and bring Giroud on a bit later in the game. But, um, you know, I said that in the in the FA Cup semi-final against City and actually what we did was we started Giroud and brought Welbeck on later on and that worked quite well for us. So um, I, I tend to think whoever starts won't play for 90 minutes. Um, but... Personally, I would prefer to see Welbeck 
try and do a passable uh, impression of Lacazette for 70 minutes and then perhaps bring Giroud on at the end. Yeah, um, I would be okay with that, and I hope you will go with that. And so before we say goodbye, I think we should at least mention uh, Arsenal keep adding to the backroom staff. They keep adding to the structure. They keep building a structure that we have been crying out for. Uh, uh, we signed Barcelona's former director of football, Raul, last name. Um, and I, he is not the director of football. He is the director of football relations or the head head of football relations uh, because Arsene Wenger doesn't like the title director of football. Um, but Clive, and, and I don't want to go on any longer, so just really quickly, the club's been crying out for this kind of structure we're putting into place can only mean good things for not just succession planning, but getting more out of Arsene into his final few years, right? Yep, I, I, I just demanded more people. And when you get more good people, you get people with a network. And our network is aged, like some of the people that we have. So it may not be as modern as it once were. So straight away, we have a new scout that's got modern network. We have a new director, whatever you want to call him. He's got modern contacts. They're all they're both in their mid forties, so we've dropped the age straight away of some of our key people. Yeah. And that's all I that's all I want. I just want to see Modernize. new people, new ideas, with new networks that makes us look like, oh, it's the beginning of a project here. It makes us a little bit more attractive and we're not so wrapped up in the manager's performance. If he loses two games, then the club falls down because we're all all wrapped up in one man i don't want that we're a club yep we're not a one-man machine and we're looking like a club again which Hooray! is really promising. huzzah yeah well said and and uh you know what we have been critical of ivan gazidis at times i think after he was overruled on the arson wenger contract renewal thing there was a question of whether his position had become untenable and i think we owe ivan gazidis at least a little bit of appreciation because it looks like and if this is coming from him anyway that he is getting things done at the club the way he would like to get them done, working with a man who I would question whether they have much uh, love lost for each other. So it's good to see that it's working out. Um, I predicted Arsenal 10, Huddersfield nil. So uh, I am predicting <laughs> Arsenal 15, Manchester United nil. And we'll see if it works the same way. In any event, Tim's on Twitter, at Stoberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure. Yep, and uh, Clive's on Twitter, at Clive PAFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Buenasera, gentlemen, which, as you know, is Dutch for it was a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review. Mash the screen until it breaks so you can unsubscribe from the podcast. And then when you get your new phone, you can go in and write a negative description about Paul in the podcast uh, uh, review description. Any event, it's United at the weekend. Uh, quick reminder, Jose Mourinho is a huge cunt, and I hope he loses. We'll talk to you then. Cheers. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. 
For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.